Whatever you call it, you've probably experienced it or you've seen someone else go through it. Burnout, overwhelm, work-life balance, not in balance. On today's episode, how to overcome and also prevent overwhelm. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 206. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Yes, you can lead, and this weekly show, which is at the intersection of business and education, will help you to do exactly that. I'm so glad that you have joined me again for this Monday show. And today, a topic that is one, as I was talking with our guest today, that I realize. I don't think we've ever hit on directly in the Coaching for Leaders show. Uh, We've certainly probably talked around it a few times, but it's such an important topic, and that's the topic of burnout, one that I think many of us have struggled with in our careers at one point or another, if we're not struggling with it now. And certainly, all of us know friends, family members, colleagues who have struggled with this, And many of us in our careers, if you're not currently, will certainly have situations where you're working with colleagues, people you lead, maybe even people who are leading you who are struggling with this. And that's why I'm really glad to be able to welcome Michael Nichols to the show today. Dr. Michael Nichols is a speaker, executive coach, and author. He's led unprecedented growth in business, colleges and universities, churches, and nonprofits for more than 25 years. He served as chairman and CEO of an international marketing firm, a college and university executive, and now a nonprofit executive. He's also the author of Creating Your Business Vision and coaches leaders and teams through vision development, strategic planning, process development, and life and work balance. And Michael, it's that last one, uh, that life and work balance that's a struggle for so many of us. And burnout in particular is an issue that when we hit it, it really does hit us full force, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think, uh, in fact, I would probably say a little bit stronger in that I think every single one of us not only deal with that on a regular basis, but we always deal with it on some level. Um, for me, you know, the term burnout, you know, I hear less and less. That was something that we heard a lot over the last few years, especially over the last 10 or 20 years, as technology changed so quickly and, and cities developed, even rural areas became more and more developed. And today, we, the way we hear about it in homes and our relationships and our communities and even in the workplace is I feel overwhelmed or I'm feeling stressed. Uh, stressed out. And I think that's what, not not only what I feel on a regular basis is I try to move projects forward and tasks forward and organizations forward. But I think that's what we we all feel on some level, the stress and the pressure, whether it's of our teams, our families, uh, community life, things that we're involved in. That is true as I think about it. I don't hear the term burnout as much. Maybe that's one of the reasons we haven't brought the term into the show recently, but overwhelm, stress, work-life balance, handling it all, chaos. Yeah, yeah. yeah, those are things that I I hear a lot and I I struggle with too. In fact, it's interesting you and I are having this conversation today because I'm very much in that that place right now just of uh, 
how our family with schedules and all that and people being sick over the last week. And so I, I, I wonder if maybe before we get into some of the what we can do about this situation, um, what are what how do you do we can you even define this? Like, how do do we make a distinction between burnout and overwhelm? And how do you, when you're thinking about this and working through this with people, um, what is it? What does it mean? And, and how do you even frame it? Well, for me, um, almost in every coaching relationship that I have, and even in mentoring um, or, or friendship relationships that I have, when I'm having conversations with people that are experiencing burnout or overwhelm, uh, what I try to do as quickly as we can, you know, we can help, we can empathize, we can encourage, we can help. We, we can um, to help take some pressure off of them to give them a little bit of margin. But at some point, we need to get back to the fundamentals of making simple decisions, simple yet fundamental decisions, that make thousands of other decisions for us. And, and we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. It may be helpful for me to tell a little bit of my story. Please. And... Uh, you and I've had several conversations, and so when I say, uh, you know, sometimes it's easy for me. It didn't used to be, but it's become easier for me to talk about my mess. And and what's really happened is my mess has become my my message. A number of years ago, I was serving as an administrator at college in Tennessee, and I was under this enormous pressure to deliver significant growth for the institution. They had experienced a number of years of decline, and and uh, it wasn't good. In fact, that's why they had brought me in was really get things turned around, put some processes, systems in place, even make sure we had the right personnel. So my team was feeling this pressure and I kept telling myself, I was feeling this pressure. I kept telling myself, you know, this is only temporary, but I knew, especially as I would, you know, leave the office late at night, headed to the house that I couldn't be in the end, any end in sight. And so I'd come back the next day, we'd, we'd push harder, we'd push faster. And at the same time, you know, you, you mentioned some of the, the home life things that, that you're dealing with now. I was dealing with some of my own demons. I, I wasn't spending enough time at home with my family. My sweet wife was managing our, our home and our, our young daughter on her own. And I felt like an incredible hypocrite. I'm, here I am trying to help help the organization improve and trying to help other people improve. And I was the one that needed to change. Let's, you know, when we go into our, our office, if you work in an office environment, it's, it's tough to face your team like that every day. And you feel like that. My, my wife, one afternoon, my wife and I were standing in our kitchen and, and, and we, I was explaining to her this overwhelm, this um, chaos that I was feeling. And she listened to me as I talked about it, that she's always so supportive about it. Then she, you know, I get done explaining it. She calmly responded for about six months. I felt like there's this part of you that's been dying and I don't know if you're ever going to be able to get it back. And my first thought when she said it to me was, well, if you just told me this six months ago, we could have avoided all this pain. <laughs> but, right. but here's what she said. She said, I want you to be able to work through these challenges that, that you're experiencing without this added pressure from me. She had enough pressure on you. I didn't want to 
put more pressure on you. And so during this, it was during this chaotic time in in my career, in my family, you know, I, I have a hard time learning from my own experiences. I often learn from the experiences of others. And I think on some level, we're all that way. And so during this chaotic time in, in my work and in our family, I was walking across campus one day and I got a phone call. And it was a young man who had come to us. Um, in fact, he had um, been hired right before um, I came on as an administrator at this university. And it was his first job, first full-time job out of high, uh, out of college. And immediately I could tell he was going through something painful. I could hear the hurt in his voice. And he started telling me, yeah, I made a bad decision. Um, this this um, young man worked in my on my team. Uh, he said, I've made a decision that's damaged my relationship, um, you know, with, with my girlfriend, the same as my relationship with, with her family. And I, I don't know what to do about it. And I told him, you know, at the time I had a million things going on. I said, Hey, I want to help you. But Sarah and I, my wife and I were leaving town in an hour or so. And we were taking, um, a bunch of young professional leaders that we were mentoring. We were taking them on a, on a weekend retreat. I said, why don't you pack a bag and, and go with us on this retreat? And so, and he did. He 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 met us there, and, and we went on this retreat. And over the next several months, I spent literally hundreds of hours with this young man, helping him. Um, I, I we my wife and I went out and bought him a computer so that he could manage his finances and, and take care of some other organizational things. We we helped him set up a budget. We helped him plan things. We we helped him get his relationship back on track with his with his girlfriend and her family. And the he, the interesting thing is, what I learned by walking that path with him was life changing for me. Mm, how and, so? And here's the, the biggest thing that I learned was that even though that I was going through something incredibly painful, incredibly challenging and really experiencing overwhelm myself that I could give more in spite of that. And it was that giving more that helped me learn more about myself, where, what was really important and what I needed to be focused on, what needed to be priority for me. So I had, I learned that I had more to give. The second thing I learned was that I could, again, that even though I'm going through these challenging times that I could grow on purpose and and the only way that I would grow is if it was purposeful and intentional. If I wasn't giving attention every single day to those areas where I needed to grow and improve and being purposeful about it, it wasn't going to happen. Mm. So I could grow on purpose. I had more to give. And then the third thing I learned is that leaders need help. I... Uh, and I, again, I think all of us can understand this, even um, those of you that are listening today, we're all in some type of leadership, whether it's positionally in our work or as a volunteer somewhere or in our homes or on some level in our communities. And as leaders, we think, you know, people come to us or they follow us because we have everything together and and we need to portray and and, and to make sure people understand that we've got it all together, when in reality, you know, that's just not reality. There are a lot of times when 
when everything falls or when we get overwhelmed or, or when we feel burnout or stress. And so when those things happen, we need to have something in place where we have people speaking into our life or speaking into our work or speaking into um, these areas of overwhelm for us that help us make it through those challenging situations. The best approach to this in so many cases is to be willing to ask for help. And you said it earlier that a lot of times if we're in a leadership role, whether it's a formal role or whether it's just it's influencing someone informally or leading our families, a lot of times we're hesitant to ask for help. We feel like we need to have the strength to figure it out ourselves. And we see asking for help as a sign of weakness, even though a lot of us know logically that that's the right thing to do. And yet, whenever we turn the tables and ask people, at least whenever I've asked people, you know, who would you rather be led by? Would you rather be led by someone who appears to always have the perfect answer and have everything together in their lives and never make a mistake? Or would you be willing to be led by someone who uh, falls short once in a while and, and makes mistakes and is willing to ask for help? Every time, <laughs> I can't think of a time someone's not said, well, the latter for sure. And yet when we get in that role, we just don't think to do that, do we? Yeah. So here, here's a couple of things. And I think it, not only do we not ask for help, I think we, we think that we ask for help more often than we do, than we really do. Mm. And, and here's a test for us. You know, I heard somebody say, I can never remember the exact quote. I need to go back and look at this quote. Maybe somebody can do it and email it to me after this uh, after a session. <laughs> um, it's something like um, some high percentage of leaders, 80% of leaders have zero close friends. Somewhere between 60 and 80% of, of leaders have zero close friends. Mm. I mean, that's not, you know, it's only a handful or less than 10 or whatever. That's zero close friends. And so as we, as we listen to this today or we think through this concept today about who's speaking into our life and who's speaking into our work, I think one evaluative test or, or one way to think about this is who do I have that is speaking? Who's speaking into um, my life and work today? Who, who have I gone to recently that is speaking? And it's funny. We've been working for several years on creating a, a model for our coaching for our training, all the work that we do uh, at the Guidestone Group. And we had these four phases, this, this process that we went through. And, and we've been working on it for well over a year. And I sat down and showed it to somebody and he said, man, the one piece that you're missing is people. All of this doesn't matter if you don't have people speaking into every single one of these four phases. And so we went back and we totally changed the model. Because people, especially people of influence, they don't have to be more experienced than you. They don't have to be more skilled than you or even more educated. It's just, I mean, there's an ancient scripture that says in the multitude of, of counselors, there's more wisdom. And so as we have people that speak into our lives along the way, we're better for it. All of us together are smarter than any one of us. I love it. I love it. And uh, and let's all. I hope it's okay if I also point out the distinction. And someone pointed this out to me a while ago that 
just because you see someone at work every day and you talk to them a lot and you work with them all the time and maybe even go do something um, socially once in a while doesn't necessarily mean that they're a friend. <laughs> um, it's it's easy to, I think for a lot of us who do a lot of business and have clients and colleagues to feel like we have a lot of friends. But, but at the end of the day, I mean, I think one interesting test is if you left your organization or if you left your work and you did something else, would those people still be a part of your life? And if the answer is no, <laughs> those aren't really, they, they may be very good, important relationships in your life, but those aren't really close friendships. And uh, that was really an eye-opener for me when I first heard that distinction, because I was very much in the in the prior situation previously. And it's just recently that I've started to really develop more of those friendships. And um, and, and I've, I, I, I believe that statistic, Michael, because I really do think a lot of us struggle with that, with with having the people who are invested in us, not just because of the work we do and not just because of the numbers we produce for the organization, which again, are all important things, but really invested in us personally and care about us as friends. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, I think it's a great test. Um, you know, thinking about if I was to leave my work or, or leave this community organization or whatever it is that I'm doing or, or move from this community, will these people continue to be my friends? Here's something else I heard Michael Hyatt say or I read that he wrote one time, which was really helpful to me. He said when he interacts with his friends or spends time with his friends, when they're in those moments when they're hanging out together, he wants them to feel like Time stands still, and they're the most important person in the world in those moments. Mm. And I think that's another great test for us, too. You know, if, if we're just hanging out with people and, and we're, you know, we're sitting at the brag table, we're telling them about our day or about our work, about how much we're making, about our latest you know, uh, purchase or conquest or whatever it is that, that we're dealing with, People, like you said, are less interested in sitting across the table or sitting across a desk from us and hearing how important and how good things are going from us. They're far more interested in us listening to them and and us asking their perspective and their help for how they can speak into uh, certain areas of our life and work. Well, I wanna I wanna come back to something you said a little bit ago. Um, and when we talk about burnout and overwhelm, is you made the point of making some simple decisions, and I'm really curious about that because when I think of overwhelm, decisions isn't the first thing that comes to mind for me. But it sounds like that's a key part of this. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So um, the way I think about it, and, and I think the statement that I made was if if we can make simple yet fundamental decisions that make thousands of other decisions for us in the future that kind of automate a lot of other things. So we don't have to stress over, you know, life decisions or life challenges or life issues in the heat of the moment. In fact, somebody said to me one time, the best time to make a decision is before you have to make it. That way, when we're in overwhelm or chaos or, or stressful situations, we don't complicate them by making them more overwhelming because we're having to make snap decisions in the moment. Does that make sense? It does. There were several, it started out with some tools that uh, I began creating to help me with these fundamental decisions. And it became um, this uh, model, the five phases of culture shaping leadership. 
that it, and it's really just five simple phases that each one have a tool or tools associated with it. I'm like, give, them, give you the five phases and I'll come back and explain each one. Number one, in fact, if you're writing a list, what I would do is write these from the bottom up. Um, so if you're writing a list, number one would be purpose. Number two would be path. Number three would be plan. Number four would be prepare. And then number five, I actually write on the left-hand side. So if I have that list going up, then on the left-hand side, um, like, you know, on a 90-degree angle, I write people. So people, and, and here's just real quickly explain what that means. On each one of these first four phases, one through four, purpose, path, plan, and prepare, the reason I write people on the side is because the question I ask myself, who, who is speaking into purpose? Who, who are the people that are speaking into path, plan, and prepare? And now let me explain what I mean by each one of those. So in, in the first phase, the question that I ask myself is, what's most important to me? Who or what is most important to me? And the tool that I use, um, that I first heard about this tool from Building Champions, and then Michael Hyatt was one of their um, uh, coaches a number of years ago, was, was writing out a personal plan. And that's where I first heard about the concept. And so a personal plan helped me decide who or what's most important. Now, here's how that helped me with burnout and overwhelm. I'm entrepreneurial, and the older I get, I'm becoming more of a builder-type personality and style. And so I can think of way more to do than I can ever accomplish with my time and, and even in my lifetime. So I need something that keeps me on track that reminds me, hey, your wife is really important. I mean, that's why I married her. I like spending time with her. <laughs> and so your, your wife is really important. If you want to spend time with her, you're going to have to be very intentional about that. Your kids are really important. I mean, that's why we decided to have them. So, um, so if, if I'm going to spend time with them and I want them, I want to achieve maximum net worth in that area of my life with my children, with my spouse, with my friends, in my work, you know, whatever it is, I need to think through why, why those areas are important and be real clear on these are the top priorities. Everything else takes a second seat. And that's mm. what purpose does for me, that, that one thing. The key is having that in advance because, like you said, so many of us in this community have, have so much to give. Like, I mean, if I thought of all the things I want to do this year, I mean, the list is just almost uh, it's unending. And so the key, it sounds like, is having a thought through in advance, whether it's a plan, whether it's a goals, whatever the, the structure is. And then when you're in front of those things or when those opportunities are coming your way, then it's a lot easier to be able to frame that and understand, is this something I can say yes to, or is this something I can I need to say no to in order to prevent getting to that place of overwhelm in the first place? Yeah, um, and, and I, that's what it's done for me. So I told you about the experience that I was having when I was working in higher ed. That was before I had a personal plan that helped me to decide um, how much time should I be spending at work? Somebody once said that um, your employer will soon forget the long hours that you spent at work, but your children will never forget the memory-making moments that you spend with them. Mm. And, and so for me, which that's a great thought, 
Um, and it doesn't have, you know, put, put whatever you want in children, as a, as a spouse or grandchildren or friend, you know, put whatever you want in that blank. But, uh, you know, that really became um, kind of a fundamental thing for me when I sat down and thought through who and what's most important. It totally changed my, my perspective. Yeah, I yep. love that. And that's it's the perspective is so true. I mean, so many of us know people who have put in the long hours, done something for a business organization and, you know, change ownership or a job disappears and those things are very can be very temporary whereas the whereas the family things, the the life purpose, the vision, the plan, that's really ultimately yours and what you own and your legacy. Yeah. So and each of these help us with certain elements of chaos or overwhelm or stress in, in areas of our lives. Now, as you think about this, the reason why I had you write those upside down is really purpose, who or what's most important, needs to become the foundation for everything else in our life. So the, the next phase path is where am I headed? And that mainly has to do with our work. And, and less about our job and more about our life work. What is it that our life is going to mean because of the work that we're doing, if that makes sense? It does. So, so um, the tool there is creating um, the, the tool, a small book that we wrote called Creating Your Business Vision, which actually walks you through uh, helping you figure out where am I headed with my work and, and, and what, is, what are my big goals? What is that going to look like? And here's what the truth of the matter is. You can't figure out where you're headed in your work, which is, which is that second phase path. You can't figure out where you're headed unless you first of all understand who or what's most important to you. So that's why we kind of have them in the sequence. So number one purpose, we must understand who or what's most important and what we want out of life before we understand how our work fits into our overall life. That's why it's important that we think through purpose before we get to path. And then the third phase is plan. So once you know where you're headed in phase number two, then plan is where we write a simple one-page business plan. We've had um, Fortune 500 companies write a simple one-page business plan. I think we've all been in situations where we have this huge strategic plan that's volumes, uh, you know, long, has multiple sections, all this stuff. It sits on a shelf somewhere collecting dust. <laughs> and what we need is, is a simple plan that tells us, what do I do, you know, every day, every week, every month to, to, to move toward my, the vision for my work? Mm. So whether, whether I'm leading a team or whether I'm, an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, um, you know, I, I hear all these new terminologies, a, a mamapreneur, <laughs> you know, a dadpreneur, you know, whatever it is that we want to put on the team. No matter what we're doing for our work, we, we can develop a simple, once we know where we're headed in phase number two, we can develop a simple plan that that has specific things that we're going to do that we can plug right into our calendar and do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And I love the Number idea, four. the fact yeah, that that this is one page. Like you said, I mean, it's I think the the default setting for a lot of people when they're writing plans is it's 
20 pages or 40 pages or, and like you said, no one, no one ever reads that. I mean, um, after it's prepared, it goes onto a file, a file somewhere or a binder and the one page, I would imagine it's a lot more likely that that's kept in front of people and that that's referred back to if it's kept simple and concise. Yeah. Tape it, tape it to your desk, tape it to your monitor, tape it on the whiteboard in front of you, you know, whatever. And in fact, I've boiled my, one page business plan down to 90 day goals that are taped, you know, on my mirror in my bathroom. So I see them when I get up in the morning, it's taped onto my computer, my notebook computer that I travel with. It's uh, taped onto my desk. Uh, if my computer's not open. And so, yes, it, getting the boiling that down to actionable steps that we can take so that we can move toward that vision every day. This is a really neat concept too. Um, for leaders, there are two types of change, only two types of change. And, and we hear people talk about change management and, you know, all these kinds of words. There's really only two types of change. Um, one is uh, incremental and the other is radical. And there's, there's two questions that you can add. There's one question for each of those. So incremental, you ask, what can we do better? And so when you think about change in your business, and as you evaluate that, you think about what can I do better? And then with radical change, you think about what can I do different? Mm. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I like the so way you frame are, that because yeah. it really, really all change does come down to that one way or the other. Yep. Excellent. And yep. so tell me about prepare. Okay. So prepare is kind of the fun area. It's the, when, when, um, as leaders, in fact, uh, this is a neat concept too, um, just something good as a leader to know. When leaders seek help, 80% of leaders are looking for help in one of four areas. We, we want help with uh, income or, or revenue. You know, we want to increase income or revenue. Uh, I don't think any of us would say we're not interested in that. <laughs> um, number two is we want help with leadership uh, skills. We want to improve leadership skills somehow. Number three uh, could be that we want to be more effective or more efficient. Uh, and then number four would be we want to lead better through change. So normally when, when we decide to, to seek help from somebody, it's one of those four areas. And often it's because there's some pain point. Uh, we have a, a team member that's not getting along with everyone else or that's not getting along with us. We, uh, we're, there's trouble at home. Um, whether it's with children or a spouse or, or uh, an extended family member. Or there's, um, we want to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with someone, but we don't know what to say or how to set that up so it's not awkward for them. Or our email, I sat on the plane next to this person one time, and I noticed on their phone or their iPad, they had several thousand emails and several thousand voicemails and and a couple thousand text messages. And I'm like, how in the world do you even function <laughs> with, with those you know, things on? And so we have, how do I, how do I manage my schedule? Manage my, you know, we have all of these things. And so we go to somebody like you, Dave, and we say, Dave, what are some simple things that I could do to get a hold of, of this area to, to get improvement in this area of my life? He said, okay, here, here's what you can do, you know, uh, for email, here's a simple process for processing your email or get, get an assistant or, or, or a volunteer to help you manage those types of things. 
And, and so they, they do that. And then, you know, a week and a half later, they walk back in your office. Hey, Dave, I, I'm having trouble with this, uh, person on my team. And I do, what can I do to do that better? And you sit down and you say, okay, here's what you do. You, and, and you give them something that go away and they improve. And then two weeks later, they're right back in your office. And so your office becomes this revolving door. And what we really want to do rather than, and that's why we don't start with prepare. That's where most people want us to start. <laughs> they come in and whether they come to you or, or to our listeners, uh, they say, Hey, will you help me with this? And we want to help them because we want to serve them. And that's what leadership is all about service and sacrifice. But rather than, I mean, Sometimes we need to just do the triage and help them. But at some point, that's what I was saying, was saying earlier, we've got to get back down to, especially people who, who, who show high potential, we need to help them start back at the beginning and understand who are what's most important, which is phase one. Number two, where do they want to go, either in their role or their career or, or with a business that they're starting? Number three, and then number three, what do I need to be doing to move toward that vision? When they do one, you know, phase one through three, when they work through phase one through three, 80% of phase four takes care of itself because they have this foundation in place that they can then draw on when they get into challenging or overwhelming situations. I love the fact that the plan is really framed and you put people really overarching all of these things. And like you said, when you, when you guys were putting this together originally of just thinking through like the importance of people and how that kind of really changed the whole look of the model, I'm working on a, on a workshop for a client right now on the topic of mentoring. And so one of the things that, uh, one of the ways I'll start the workshop is just talking through this myth that a lot of people have of a self-made woman or a self-made man. We hear that term thrown around, especially in yeah. American business culture. And my experience has been, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing yours is similar, Michael, when you talk to people who have had real great success career-wise, business-wise, uh, influencing the world in some way, they've always had a lot of help from a lot of people. You know, They've got a great network. They've got a lot of people that they can call on and as you say, speak into their lives in these different ways around their purpose, their path, their plan, and that that has been the difference maker for most of those folks. It's not because they did it all alone or they just you know woke up one day and had this great insight. It is so many people who have contributed to that. Yeah, and I think your experience has been very similar to mine. I was not prepared. <clears throat> you know, when I got out of college, I got out of grad school, I was not prepared. Uh, for the transparency, the sacrifice, the, the service that leadership would require. And not because I wasn't interested in that. It's just the generation that I grew up in, um, my leaders, my mentors, they were not transparent. Um, they, um, you know, most of the time it was, hey, this is just the way we do it. And, and so I didn't have people that were they didn't have people speaking into their lives. I never saw that. And, and I didn't have people speaking into my life other than a handful of people. And so I was not prepared for that. And it, it was uh, a number of years into my career. In fact, really, it's just been the last five years that I've um, seen the value in, in having key people speaking into um, key areas of my life and my work. 
and it has become the difference maker. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. When we started this conversation, we were originally talking about burnout and overwhelm. Um, yeah. When we first talked, I I didn't appreciate how important it would be the people parts of it and friendships. And now that we've had the conversation, um, while those things, while I've I've thought about those things in a very different context before, I think after this conversation, I'm really going to think about those things in very much the same context because as you've illuminated this this model and I, I love it and I, I and by the way I'm very grateful for you offering to share some of the resources yep. that you you all have put together for our audience I know that'll be really helpful um, but I, but it is really um, is really enlightening to me just when you think about that of the importance of people and having people there who can help and who are invested in you again not just because of your position or your role within the organization or how much you produce but are really invested in you truly how what a difference that makes from a standpoint mm-hmm. of of these things and so I, I really appreciate that perspective a ton and i'm wondering um you know we're going to get a whole bunch of links in the show notes for people so they can uh, track down some of these resources and and thanks again for making those available but for people who really would like to get more into this michael what's what's the best way for people to track you down and some of the resources that you have online sure well here a couple of things one we have a ton of free content and sources uh, resources available on on my blog site, uh, michaelnichols.org. And, uh, and then a couple of things that we've been working on over the last couple of years um, you know, that I'd love for everybody to, to just be familiar with is Guidestone University. Um, it's at guidestoneuniversity.com. It is an online, uh, simple online coaching site, very low cost, uh, monthly low cost, like less than a dollar a day. Uh, when enrollment opens, people can enroll in that. And everything that we talked about today, we, we have inside Geisinger University. In fact, every product we've ever created is it's, it's inside Geisinger University, thousands of dollars worth of stuff. And then Guidestone, uh, the retreat at Guidestone Hills is our new retreat center in, in the Atlanta area, just a few miles from Atlanta Airport. And that's at GuidestoneHills.com. We just love for people to be familiar with that as well, whether they're hosting, you know, retreats, or they just need to get away personally themselves. We, um, everything that we're doing is to help leaders to live and lead with purpose. I'm thinking about what you said a minute ago about the fact that you growing up in a generation where leaders didn't necessarily value or even know really what to do as far as transparency. And and certainly some did, but that wasn't the prevailing culture and business mm-hmm. and in our in an industry and it's it's exciting to see that that is starting to change and we're starting yeah. to see more of an openness to transparency and people being willing to 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 work together grow together make mistakes together um, and we're starting to see that as a as a value out there and so uh, I just want to say thanks Michael to you for you and your organization of being a part of that conversation and uh, just being willing to go out there and, and, and be vulnerable and take risks. And I know you, you've done that yourself just in the last few years and the work you're doing um, and, and, and leaving you know, an, an industry where you were making a lot of money and, uh, do, and doing things that were pretty stable. But I mean, you've really personally done this as well. And that's, I think it's one of the, the best things we can do is to uh, help people in the ways that we've also cha- struggled ourselves to. So thanks a, thanks a ton for being a leader in that way. Well, and thank you for your kind words. We uh, have enjoyed the journey and we're looking forward to a great future as well. 
a big thank you to Michael for sharing his model and also sharing a number of the resources. Uh, he mentioned during the episode a number of links. I've linked to them all in the show notes at coachingforleaders.com slash 206. And so check those out. Uh, some of them are free resources on his website. So you can download, especially the model and all the steps. Uh, some of them are also uh, paid resources. So check them out. And regardless of what you investigate, I know it'll be really helpful to you in your work on thinking of how to not only combat overwhelm, but to prevent it. And as you've imagined from our conversation, a lot more benefits come out of this as well, too. And the biggest thing that I was thinking as we were having this conversation is so often it's the people element that overwhelms us. And that's the biggest challenge that so many leaders articulate when they say that they're overwhelmed, when they can't handle it all, when they feel burned out. And yet... I think sometimes we often forget, I know I do, that it is actually the people in the relationships that also pull us out of overwhelm and prevent overwhelm and keep us balanced, especially the people who are our friends and family. And so that was a good reminder to me, and I hope it was a reminder to you as well to consider that. If you aren't already considering that as top of mind, I hope that you will uh, do that too. And uh, if you have a comment or question, feel free to hop on the show notes and add that in. And of course, if you have a question for one of the upcoming Q&A shows, submit it at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And that way, Bonnie and I can consider it for one of the Q&A episodes. That is every, that's the first Monday of every month. So the next one will be episode number 208 in two weeks. So get your questions in now if you'd like them to be considered for that show or a future show. And if you're not already subscribed to this show, I hope you'll do so. Uh, you, the new episodes come every Monday and you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. And if you've already been listening for a bit and you found the show helpful, I hope you, if you haven't already, will join the weekly leadership guide that I write and send on Wednesdays. It is delivered to your inbox by email, and it has my thoughts and recommendations on articles, podcasts, videos, books, uh, some of my writing and perspective that I think will be helpful to you between shows on what's going on out there, things I'm finding that I think will be helpful to you. And it also always includes the show notes, including the links, of course, this week to all the resources Michael mentioned. So if you listen on the go like I do, it will be helpful to you. When you join the Leadership Guide for the first time, you'll get access to my Reader's Guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others with brief summaries from me on the value of each one of those books. And you can download that. Uh, you'll actually get it uh, by email as soon as you join. And you do that at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And thanks in advance for everyone who emails me each week. And uh, it's such a pleasure to put that together. I really enjoy putting together those resources for our community. And I also wanted to say a big thank you this week to two people. Uh, the person with the username Doggo Fio. hope <laughs> I'm saying that right. D-O-G-O-F-I-O here in the States and Zimzom in the UK. Thank you to you both for the very kind review on iTunes. I so appreciate it. That is hugely helpful in other people finding the show from around the world. Boy, I get emails from every corner of the world, it seems like, these days, just about every week. So uh, if you've been listening for a bit and you feel like you can post a review as well, I'd sure be grateful. Uh, take a moment just to go over to iTunes. You can get it there at coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. It'll take you right to the show page. Or if you use Stitcher to listen to the show, go to coachingforleaders.com slash Stitcher. Thanks in advance for your support and writing a review if the show's been helpful to you. And I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Take care. <laughs>